Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to the Masters of Modern podcast. I am back in Los Angeles. Your host, Ben Bateman, here with my trusted co-host, Michael Grothy, sitting on the other side of the table. How are you doing, Mike? Hello. Welcome, I'm good. Welcome back from Gen Con. Yeah, Gen Con was awesome. I was. You awesome were there. I was there. We met some fans. Uh, cool. We got to play some battle bosses, show it off a little bit. Uh, yeah, it was cool. Somebody had me sign their Gen Con program, which was uh, as a as a B list Masters of Modern host. Look at you. Yeah. Are you B list? There's only I a felt, couple of us. I, I don't, felt I don't very know. <laughs> special. I'm sure the guy with the program signed by me is listening. That's you pretty, made me feel really special. Thanks, buddy. That's pretty cool. You do a really, really great job. I would argue you're well more informed than Alex or myself. I'm just kidding. But you're really informed. So, uh, no. Uh, I would not be about some things. <laughs> uh, Gen Con was really fun. It was definitely cool to meet some people. It's always fun to be in a place where tabletop gaming is so celebrated. Um, it's such a, it's such a, like, we live in this world now where tabletop gaming is not the primary form of gaming anymore. And yeah. so when you're there, it feels like you're in this, like, like time portal or something that's like taking you to a time when like this is all anyone focused yeah on. there's no video games there i mean like there's digital versions of tabletop games like you can go and play digital settlers of Catan, like right, try right, it out right. or whatever but for the most part it's like there's no video games there it's just everybody has like their miniatures and their cards and dice and it's cool yeah people come to buy our booth we're checking out like the uh the battle boss sculpts like they were a lot of people were just drawn to us just because the sculpts are very cool looking yeah they're very intricate and like you know that's like that's one of the things that you get when you have real life uh you know irl games stands for in real life um so uh thanks <laughs> stands for just kidding um so so um we're, we're back we're here talking magic this is the masters of modern podcast uh we were missing we were missing alex kessler uh co-captain thrice co-captain of the of the ship um he is in africa currently yep so that's exciting on a safari he's on a safari mistaken yep literally and uh we are going to be talking today about some really 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 fun modern stuff this show obviously is the show where we talk about modern and all things last couple weeks have been pretty like a level in terms of you know metagame talk and like hogak and all these things modern at the moment it's kind of dominated by this uh, post-banning Hogak deck. You know, you can play humans, you can play Dredge, you can play Tron. There's Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I was going to say Phoenix when I said humans. But, I mean, humans is still a real deck. You know, there's there's a handful, but, like, there's a couple top-tier decks. And there probably will be another banning, I think, it seems that way. Yeah, and actually, uh, Mark Rosewater admitted that he felt that Hogak was a mistake on his Tumblr page. Somebody asked him, like, oh, why are all of Magic's mistakes blue cards like why don't you go out on a limb in other colors and he's like well our most recent mistake is a black green hybrid card everybody's like oh i know that one <laughs> yeah i mean again we've, we've said this a lot right and i think when we talked about the set review i'd have to go back and listen but i was i'm pretty sure that when we talked about hogak we were unclear on what the card was going to do but i think i looked at alex and was just like i mean look it's a creature it's big it has delve on it it's probably going to be really good i don't really know how but i'll bet you this card's good yeah and mark rosewater tends to not weigh in on power level concerns because he knows he's going to like say something that's way off base because that's not the space that he deals in i think if he says this card we printed was a mistake it's like 
everybody in R&D knows it's a mistake, and so they're probably going to do something about it in their next band window. It seems that way. So um, that is what's going on in the modern competitive world today. So we are careening towards GP Vegas, Magic Fest Vegas, where we're actually going to be, we're going to be there doing a live show. It's a live trivia show. So some of you guys know the movie Trivia Schmodown is a, one of the avenues that I, I compete in a lot, right? I It's a, it's a movie trivia show. It kind of combines some of that wrestling flair of the, the, the WWE stuff. And we are going to be doing a live trivia show, kind of inspired, uh, same, same show structure, um, but it's going to be all magic trivia. So we have a couple teams selected, some members of, you know, Wizards, a few cosplayers. It should be really, really fun. Alex and I are going to be the host of that. That's going to be Friday night at 5 o'clock. Um, and because of that, I will not get to play in the main modern event because that, you know, we'll be preparing for it during the middle of the event. I'll be playing in the limited event, the Modern Horizon Sealed, which I think you will also. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the fun Modern Horizon cards that right now aren't getting to show up, like cards that we believe maybe there's some opportunity, they're a little unsung, uh, that we think there's maybe a place for long-term to do some really, really cool stuff in Modern, probably post-Hogak, but even if you wanted to get really creative and clever, we both went through to pick a few cards that we thought were particularly awesome, and that's what today's show is going to be about. Yeah, and I, I, there is like some stuff that's showing up as just like standard parts of Modern decks, and there may be decks that aren't getting played as much because of Hogak, like Ren and Six, or Hexdrinker in the Jun deck, or Plague engineer in like every black deck sideboard season pyromancer a lot of these cards are just like kind of staples of the format now obviously the format is a little wonky because of hogak but i think that there's cards that you can obviously see that like let's say that they ban hogak or they ban other cards that make dredge unplayable there's like some cards that obviously these are just going to be players in the modern format but we're talking about cards that we think are like spicy sleepers that are underexplored even uh in the uh pre-Hogak dominance period. Yeah, so that's what today's show is going to be all about. We also want to talk a little about the new Judge program. Um, that's that's a big piece of news. But before we get into all of today's show, I do want to remind everybody to follow along with what we're doing. You can find me personally at Ben Bateman Media, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the show at the MMCast. Michael, where can the folks find you? Uh, I'm at Dudardd on Twitter. Uh, I'm also a moderator on the Facebook group, so I see what's going on in the Masters of Modern Facebook group uh, and on the Masters of Modern Discord. Yeah, and if you guys happen to be listening to this, watching this on YouTube, be sure to like, subscribe, comment, um, leave your thoughts below about the episode, and hit that notification button, the little bell, because uh, I have done a couple of these live streams recently. I'm going to do some more coming up pretty soon. I might even do one tonight. Uh, this is talking about cool things in modern. It's an opportunity to kind of interact with you guys on a personal level, um, so be sure you are subscribed. Let's get into the first topic of the day. Let's talk about this judge program news. I'm going to let you kick this one off. Yeah, so uh, I was a judge for a little while. I'm not sure if I'm lapsed. I was trying to to judge a couple of events a year at FNM to stay a judge, and I can't remember the last time I did it, so I might have lapsed. But I've been a judge for a while, so I kind of have an inside look at, at the judge program, at least at a uh, at a small like local judge level, which is what most judges are. Um, Can you just explain really quickly before you go into the story classically to be a level one judge like when you're at an fnm and there's a guy who's he's the most knowledgeable magic guy in the room what is the process that takes you from casual guy to that guy okay well so for me i actually it was funny i judged my first ptq before i played in my first ptq because i was i went straight from casual to judging and totally skipped over competitive magic i think some people play competitive magic and they are kind of like around it a lot and they they eventually decide to like go a different direction with their pursuit of competitive magic rather than like you know, trying to get on the pro tour or whatever. Um, for me, I went straight from casual. Actually, I read uh, an MTG Salvation column every week uh, called Cranial Insertion, okay. uh, I which I, I believe, 
which I believe is still around. It's on their own website. It used to be uh, one of the writers for it was Eli Schifrin, who's now the rules manager at Watsi. Um, but at the time, he was just a, a level two or three judge. Um, and so I read this article every week, and it was basically questions. People would ask them questions on Twitter, or on other social media. Sometimes I think they'd make them up just to fill space. Um, and it was just like unusual rules questions. Uh, and they would answer them, but they were always pretty entertaining about their answers. They'd be like making jokes, but they were also very informative. And so what happened was I would read the question, I would answer it in my head, and then I would read the answer and I would write like 90% of the time at a certain point. And I was like, I could just do this. So I went and found a level two, uh, at my local store that I was playing at, you know, just like F and M level. Um, and he basically had me come with him to a couple of tournaments and kind of like, uh, he told me what documents I needed to read at the time. You need to read uh, the JAR, Judging It Regular, which is just kind of like a policy guide for regular rules enforcement tournaments, which is like uh, F&M and stuff. And the um, the MTR, Magic Tournament Rules, which is like tournament protocol. So it's not like the comprehensive rules for the game. Uh, it's like a document that's just talking about like how do, you know, Swiss pairings work and how do, okay, sure. you know, Stuff like that for like a tournament protocol. And then once I did that stuff and I went to him with a couple of tournaments, he was like, I think you're ready for the test. And he gave me the test and then I was a judge. Okay, so that's the old version. That's the old system. Right. And, and you would get you would get promos by going to judge conferences and those promos right. were or really by, fancy Or by cool. judging a Grand Prix. Yeah. A, now a Magic Fest. You used to uh, get promos as a kind of a reward for doing that as well. And they're like some of the sweetest promos. Like a lot of the coolest versions of cards, of really good cards that we've ever seen, a lot of them are judge promos. Yeah, there's like a judge promo Wheel of Fortune and judge promo demonic tutor like all these crazy old There's cards that awesome are just like hundreds of dollars now the like noble hierarch with the old borders I oh yeah dark promos. confidant with the old border yeah yeah that was really cool um, so that's the old program. So there was some big news that happened that everybody's talking about, and uh, it's there's a there's a kind of a brand new corporation that's getting their skin in the game in the judge program. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So it's called Judge Academy. Uh, uh, so I guess a, a background for this is that in the last five years or so, there's been some lawsuits uh, because basically judges are more or less volunteers um, who are you know basically being paid by Watsi in judge promos, which is not uh, the most legal arrangement. So Watsi has been making effort to distance himself from judges. So now judges are contractors who work for a tournament organizer. So if you're Channel Fireball, you have to find judges and uh, pay them, basically. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that tournament entry fees is going up, because the quality of judging that people had come to expect was subsidized by those judges were getting paid in promos. And a lot of the judges didn't really mind because they were getting paid a lot in the form of cardboard. But as far as the government is concerned, you cannot pay somebody using cardboard. So, <laughs> so, uh, they, um, so now they're getting paid by TOs and that's what's, you know, driving up prices of GPs and stuff. But even then there was a lot of things that judges were volunteering their time for, like all my time with my level two judge, uh, who was kind of mentoring me, taking me to tournaments and showing me these documents I need to be reading. He administered the tests and he would kind of, you know, bring me by a match and kind of mentor me and be like, Hey, I want you to watch this match for slow play. He was all the, the, the judge who mentored me was all about slow play because it's like a very hard thing to watch for. And so he wanted to kind of like do it with me and be like, you know, um, but anyway, so so all that is kind of unpaid. And I 
I'm pretty sure that running judge conferences is also unpaid. You you find a store that will host you and then you put on a presentation for other judges and teach them, you know, skills that they that will make them better judges and you're you're doing that for free. You're you're getting promos from Wizards. But you know, kind of <laughs> so the new system, uh, just to kind of uh, make sure we kind of get to the heart of the issue, is effectively, and maybe you just said some of this, but it's effectively you, you, you're having to pay to be part of a, a third-party organization that is right. not Wizards anymore. And the right. reason is because they do not want to have anything to do with those lawsuits, the idea that they're paying with cardboard. And this guy who's running it is a former tournament organizer that we both knew, right, we both right. worked with. Tim Shields uh, owns Cascade Games, who used to run a lot of the West Coast GPs, uh, either on their own or con- in conjunction with Channel Fireball. Obviously, now Channel Fireball runs them all themselves. Um, and I assume Cascade is just either running other TCGs or helping out with Channel Fireball. I'm not sure. But um, but yeah, I mean, I worked GPs for a while as a vendor. And so I, I met Tim Shields on a few occasions and he was he would go up and do like the big tournament organizer speech at yep. the beginning of GPs and stuff. Um, and so he's like a big figure in the in the community who's hired thousands, if not tens of thousands of judges for for various events over the last many years. And he he now owns this Judges Academy, um, which is effectively like a new judge program. You pay a subscription fee to be in it. You pay one hundred dollars a year for level one. $200 a year for level two, $400 a year for level three to be a judge. You get promos twice a year for your entry fee. So you, you know, are kind of getting a rebate on your entry fee in the form of judge promos. Um, and then you are effectively paying for a certification in the same way that like, so you, you pay them and that covers the cost of your training and you get some amount of training every year. Um, in the form of, you know, mentoring and videos and judge conferences and stuff. And I'm hoping now we don't know a lot about it because it, it it's brand new and they've answered some questions. But I think that in order to get really get a feel for what they're trying to do, we have to um, we have to see it in action. But I have hope that it means that a lot of these unpaid things that judges were doing, mentoring other judges, running these judge conferences and things, there's now money in the system, right? Like every judge in you know, North America, Europe, and Japan to start out is where they're operating. But at some point, every judge in the world will be paying into this system. And hopefully they can put that money to some use and, you know, pay judges to do all this unpaid work that they had been doing, as well as everybody's getting promos uh, that also are obviously worth a lot of money. Um, Yeah, I think, I think, um, and so again, just to sort of wrap the topic up, because that is effectively what you just said is what's going on. Now, yep. the responses have been the vocal minority talks a lot about, okay, you're doing a job, it's non-paid. Now you're having to pay for your non-paid job. That's not cool. People don't like that. Uh, and, and that is a fair opinion to have. I completely get it. Um, the thing is, there's not a good alternative to this. The only alternative to this is Wizards of the Coast just dumping a whole bunch of money into the judge program, doing it themselves. Well, which doesn't seem realistic. I mean, considering Magic already it is like so short of cash relative to the the crazy number of people that love it and play it and play it competitively compared to other esports and they don't seem to be willing to dump a bunch of money into it to fix that i can't imagine they would dump a bunch of money into a program that currently has been run for a long time the way it's been run and judges seemingly have been fine doing that right i think that that somebody now is going to be there's going to be an entire organization that they you know they are looking to pay their employees and keep the lights on. And in order to do that, they need to run a tight ship and do a good job, right? And if they don't do a good job, then they're going to go out of business because people aren't going to want to be judges. Already, there's a lot of backlash for having to pay a monthly fee or a yearly fee. And if, you know, if people drop out of the judge program, they don't make any money. 
and it's not going to be sustainable for them. Now, wizards can can subsidize a crappy judge program just based on Magic's profits. But this new company doesn't have Magic's profits to lean on. They they have to actually do a good job in order to stay open. And I think that that is there's some value to that. Now, they had they got a lot of questions about why they weren't just like a labor union. Uh, one of the things that they talked about that I really liked was uh, some of the training that they're going to do, particularly for L1s, is uh, training in like customer service, how to uh, negotiate for compensation from TOs, because you are an independent contractor that's just getting a certification. Once you have the judge certification, you can now show that off to get jobs the same way you would with like a CPR certification or like a programming certification. Yeah. You're certified for it's proper. They're giving you proper training. Right. So, so some of the training they're going to do. So I talked about what my training was. There was no conflict resolution, no how to how to negotiate with tournament organizers for compensation, no customer service, which is an important part of being a judge because you're representing magic as a whole. Um, and I felt like that's all valuable training that they're now going to be providing to judges um, using the funds, obviously, that you're you're paying into. Um, and so people were asking, well, you know, it sounds like you guys with the negotiation, you know, t- teaching people how to negotiate with TOs, it sounds a little bit like you're a labor union. Why aren't you just like a labor union or a nonprofit or something? And their answer to that, and I don't know the validity of this because I don't know about international business law, but their answer to that was that uh, in order to be a, biz- a, a nonprofit or a labor union, they're trying to operate worldwide and it's going to be really difficult to get that designation around the world. Now they could probably do it in North America, but they have their sights on worldwide magic. And and part of the reason for that is like if there's a North American Magic Fest, you don't want be want the quality of judges to be drastically different from a European Magic Fest or a Magic Fest in Japan or Australia um or South America, but the labor laws are different in all of those places. So <laughs> in order to be kind of gl- have a consistency throughout all of global magic judging Maybe it doesn't work to be to be a labor union or a nonprofit organization because you're not going to be able to operate everywhere. I think it's this is what they said. Now, obviously, that might not be true. I don't know, but I, I think this is a step in in this is a step in a direction. Is the point, and yes. we're going to see how it goes. Um, magic is that. in a pretty major uh, state of flux. Paper magic specifically is in a pretty major state of flux, and. There's enough of a demand for it. People love it that we're going to see where it ends up. But there's a lot of new things that have been happening that will continue to happen over the course of the next year or two. And I think it's our jobs as content creators and pieces of the community to inform people and stay positive because I love this game and I love where it's going. And I do think Paper Magic does have a future. So this is an important piece of it. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is unlikely to be worse than what we had before. Now, it, it feels bad because now there is a there is a corporation that might just be looking to profit off of the labor of judges and they don't really care about the judge program as a whole. Knowing the people that are involved, uh, a lot of high-level judges have already basically signed on to this program to help run it uh, and having you know brief interactions with Tim Shields, I don't think that that's the case. But you know, when it's like you have to pay an annual fee for something you were previously doing for free... It could feel kind of bad, but but I do think that you know it. There's a lot of potential here for some improvements to the judge program, so I, sure. I'm hopeful. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up our most important piece of news for the week. Uh, I do want to remind everybody here really quickly, just because this is something I'm really excited about, that at the end of the month, August 29th, I'm going to be in New York at the New York Comedy Club live um, with. Uh, 
Action Live. We're calling it a night to remember with Team Action. Andrew Guy and myself, who host Action Movie Anatomy and the Action Guys with me, we're going to be doing an episode of AMA. We're going to be doing a bunch of stupid celebrity impressions uh, as part of one of our other segments we used to call Cage versus Cruise. And then I think I'm even going to be playing a live song at... Uh, because I've been playing music again at New York Comedy Club. So get your tickets now. Um, if you are patrons, patreon.com slash teamaction, we actually are sending a discount code. So go check that out. Get your tickets. If you're a New York local and you just want to come hang out, it's a super, super awesome club in the East Village. And it uh, will be my very first live show uh, with action. So I can't wait for that. So go check that out. Um, all right. We're going to get into today's episode, which is actually going to be a whole conversation about sleeper hits in modern um, from Modern Horizons, ones that we think are really cool and underplayed and have a future. We've each picked a few. I'm going to Toss to Michael on his first pick. Uh, what is your first pick from Modern Horizons for a card that's underrepresented? Sound like we drafted these. Okay, so so I think a card from Modern Horizons that's currently underrepresented. I think Ayula's influence. I'm I'm gonna just channel Alex here. Is this the bear assault from after from Africa? Yeah, this is the bear assault. So this was a card that Alex was really high on because he loves land strategies, and he actually kind of convinced me that it was good. I, I was kind of like, you play seismic assault and you kill them, right? Like. Or at the very least, like you have the potential to just get them for six or eight or whatever because your life in the loaming and you're you're doing whatever else. You have a lot of lands in your deck. I want to explain what this card does for those on audio. Oh, yes, yes. So on audio, this is an enchantment for green, green, green. It states discard a land card, create a two, two green bear creature token. The classic version of this is seismic assault, which is red, 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 discard a land to deal two damage, target creature or player. Right. And I felt like the deal two damage was was kind of a better a better mode, you know, like in like a combo deck like the Swan's Assault or something like that, or even with Life in the Loam, you're dealing six of them a turn. It's direct damage. They can't block. They can't use removal spells. They're just going to die. But Alex convinced me that the chump blocking with the bears is actually really important. Um, if you are Life in the Loaming, you're basically getting three two twos for two every turn. Now, if your opponent has like a Gurmag Angler or something, you can spend your three your three shocks from your Seismic Assault to kill that Gurmag Angler like or you can make these three bears they're probably not going to attack into your three bears but if they do you can like chump block with one hit them with the other two make three more bears and every turn you're just able to like build this huge army that you know through chump blocking can occasionally more efficiently like blank your opponent's cards through through chump blocking or multi-blocking or something like that well i think one of the interesting things too about this is that so while seismic assault feels like it's a card that needs to exist in a deck like a combo deck taking advantage of seismic assault this card, you draw excess lands in a lot of games, and if those excess lands are turning into tutus, they are permanent resources as opposed to just one a, a one instance that is like just on a base level. If you imagine like playing this on turn three and you're just like land flooded, now you're just drawing a tutu every single turn. Yeah, I, I suppose that's true. I mean, I think that it really shines in like a Life in the Loam style shell to me. And being the same color as Life in the Loam as I also think is valuable. I feel like a lot of these decks have been forced to play this awkward red, red, red card and just wreck their mana base when some of these decks might not even need to play red. You know, you can get away in a in a like a sort of dredgy land style deck with like Tireless Tracker, maybe Dark Confidant, Iola's Influence, Life in the Loam, kind of a Jun style deck. Maybe you're playing red for Renin Six, but that's like more of a splash, right? Versus yeah. red, red, red enchantment that you sometimes just want to play on turn three. So it, the, the problem with this deck right now is that it's grindy. Um, and the bears actually do not chump block eight eights with trample, right? Right. right. Um, or three twos with flying haste. So, yeah. <laughs> or seven eights that return them all to your hand. Uh, although I guess you can discard it instant speed and block a thing in the ice, which could be relevant post hogak ban, right? So, I think that like 
life in the loan plus Ayula's influence is a very efficient, like grindy strategy. You can discard at instant speed for zero mana, and you're basically just two mana every turn to make three two twos. And I think that's that's gonna grind out almost any deck in the format, you know? Like obviously you have to be in a metagame where grinding is important, but I think that that's a really powerful like it's a really powerful way to grind. And if you have other ways to draw cards like a tireless tracker or something else, now you're like drawing extra cards and making tons of bears to block and and uh yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I think the card has a lot of potential. It's just the format is is too fast. Interesting. All right, so that is card number one, uh, Iola's Influence. I think it's a sweet card. I think it, it has been underrepresented, and I think there is definitely something cool to be done there. Yeah. Um, my first card is going to be, I'm excited about this one, Force of Rage. Mm. And it's a very specific, it's a very specific idea that I have here that might just be really bad, but I, I had this idea is this, this morning. Uh, is this an idea... <laughs> From the creator of the Pact of the Titan uh, deck, that uh, yes, yes, it is. Oh, Pact of the Titan. That's what can I say? Card. You know, Ben has an affinity for red spells that make creatures for free. So, Force I Rage. Think he is, likes any creature he could get for free. Is the red force that has been widely lauded as the worst force by a mile? I think I don't think there's any yeah, question. I agree with that. Uh, and this is uh, red, red one instant. If it's not your turn, you may exile a red card from your hand. Rather than pay the spell's mana cost, create two 3-1 red elemental creature tokens with trample and haste. Sacrifice those tokens at the beginning of your next upkeep. So the card is basically you get to make two 3-1 red elementals that block. Uh, that's that's for free anyway. And if you just play this card for its rate, um, they you're just making two three ones for three. That's, that's what it is. Um, which, honestly, from a burn perspective... Is not great. It's not the worst to just frontside cast this card. Like people probably will win games just frontside casting this card. It'll it's happen. Three mana for six damage. It's like a classic ball lightning rate, right? Right. Totally. Like people are playing ball lightning right now in modern. There's like a deck that's playing it. But I think that's true. I, but I think that has a lot to do with unearth and thunderkin awakener being in the format. Well, fair. It's totally so fair. Ball lightning has its combos. Let's wait for Ben to reveal yeah, yeah, his please. force of rage combos. You're right. I'll withhold judgment. <laughs> There's a card called Pandemonium, originally from Exodus, I believe right Correct. okay one red three Probably. colorless enchantment whenever a creature enters the battlefield its controller may have pandemonium deal damage equal to that creature's power to target creature or player it's either the creature or is pandemonium i think pandemonium deals the damage but either way uh this is like one of the first printings of a card like this it got reprinted as a time shifted card from time spiral i believe it is. I know it's in ben, old Ben going back to the time shifted sheet. It is, right? It is. Yeah, it's time shifted. Yeah, I knew this was in modern. Uh, and it's a weird card, especially in a format where people are going to be like routinely getting like six power out of their graveyard and just like doming right, yeah. you. Yeah, imagine so hard. like a Hogak deck, just like <laughs> cast Stitcher Supplier, cast Hogak from my graveyard, get back to Venge Vines, you're dead. <laughs> so my thought of this card was like, all right, that's that's totally fine, and like you don't want to play this card and then just go super long, like you'll lose the game if you do that, right? But they did print two more versions of cards similar to this. One was called Warstorm Surge. It sucks. It costs six. I wouldn't play that. But they did print Perforos, which is one red, three colorless. It's the god. And Perforos will never be active in this deck. But uh, he states that whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, he deals two damage to each opponent. And so my thought on this was, all right, 
you already have the super, super good base of carry and feeder plus grave crawler. Like that's just already a pretty good thing you can do in modern. You start your deck there. You're playing greater Gargadon because that card is sweet. Yep. You're always playing greater Gargadon. And it goes alongside the, the shell we're talking about because, you know, obviously machine gunning to get him into play is really good. Now, imagine that you play Pandemonium. Don't die on your next turn. You get to untap. It's a decent chance you just win the game with a grave crawler with a Gravecrawler Carrion Feeder setup already, like, you're probably going to, like, eight them your next turn. You nine. can sack all your permanents to Gargadon to nine them. Yeah. like Plus you get an attack. You get to go crazy sacking everything, and then you just sack your entire board and probably nine them. Like, there's a good number of games you will just win the game on turn five here. Uh, it's less good with Perforos, but still pretty good because the Gravecrawler engine is exactly the same. Um, obviously Gargadon is less good there, but he is a nine, seven that attacks with haste. Now, finally, where does force of rage fit in all the bad cards you're playing that make the top end of this deck work are these big clunky four man enchantments that it's fine if you cast two of them, but you don't really need to well, Perforos is legendary, but yeah, he's legendary and you does, you definitely don't want extra copies of greater Gargadon. Yeah. So you have tons of red cards that you do not mind exiling to your, uh, to your, uh, force of rage. And not only that, you can cast your pandemonium on turn four and then on their turn cast it for free to be able to deal six damage right so like if you need to clean the board up if you're dying and it's you're not just six damage it's three damage and then three damage so you can like kill pick off two creatures even which if you have a gargadon suspended now you have two permanents you get to sacrifice to your gargadon so th- the whole the whole idea with this deck is that this should be a turn four turn five deck right like that's that's probably how this deck works the cards that i haven't figured out where like the the control like direct damage and or are, are you playing like all of your like dragon fodder, hordling outburst type of effects that are going to get you two and three? Like maybe I'm not totally sure about they're that. They're good with Gargadon. They're good with Carrion Feeder. They can keep you alive while you do this. Because like if your life total gets low and then you tap out on turn four for Pandemonium, you might die. So it's nice to have like some chumpers. You just throw a goblin in front of their Tarmogoyf or whatever. I mean, assuming people are playing Tarmogoyf uh, post banning. Yeah. <laughs> Do you just play Simeon Spirit Guide in this deck to try to just be a turn faster because it's another red card you don't care about that you can exile? I feel like you need a few pieces in play for any of your cards to do anything. Like, if you play Perforos, but then you don't have any creatures or any Force of Rage, it doesn't do anything. If you play Greater Gargadon, but then, like, you don't draw enough token producers, it's just going to sit there in the exile and not do much. If you play a Pandemonium, but you don't have a good follow-up the next turn... Like, you just play Hordling Outburst the next turn and deal three. Like, I think that you need a critical mass of cards that are all working together. I think you don't really want a card that doesn't do anything. Spirit Guide, right. So so then so then the question here becomes, you get card advantage out of your Gravecrawler Carry and Feeder Engine the way that it works with the rest of the deck, but how do you fill your hand back up? Like, there... Because you, I think you get pretty low on cards in this deck. It feels like you're playing. I think these, so, yeah. You're playing these big enchantments that don't really do much. Your Perforos can't really attack. What's his What's his other ability? It like he has to cost. He can pay three to give your team plus one plus zero oh until end of turn. Oh really? Yeah. Oh well, then so you're a tokens deck. That seems fine. Yeah, I mean like that's a backup plan probably. That seems like a perfectly reasonable backup plan. Like what you Dragon Fodder makes you two. Does Horling yeah. Outburst make you three one ones for three? Yeah. And there's probably another dragon fodder card. I'm thinking. I mean, this seems like a there's bad. there's a bajillion dragon fodder cards. There's Mog War Marshal. There's Dragon Fodder. There's Krenko's Command. There was yeah, 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 one right. in Modern Horizon. No, no, it was a Goblin Instigator from M19. Yep. This uh, this seems like a deck made for sexy pyromancer. Like, if you want a red way to get mm-hmm. cards back in your hand, Season Pyromancer is the man. And Season Pyromancer also can make tokens. Which you, you could can also play um, strong idea, yeah. You could also play Rick's Mighty Reveler. Yeah, I like that card. 
I'm a fan of that card. Yeah, I mean, it's fine on two to like discard an extra copy of some card, like discard an extra copy of Pandemonium or Perforos yeah. or Gargadon or whatever, and then draw a card. But then later in the game, like when you're totally empty handed, you it's can just play it for four. Yeah. Yeah, he's that's a strong, that's a strong. Turning play. on Spectacle is super easy because you just like hit them with Perforos or you go wide with tokens, swing with five goblins, they block three of them, you get through, you draw yeah so that's my that's my first card uh force of rage i think the sex name is like pretty fun to make uh i don't know how good it is and if you guys want lists i know some of you guys are probably gonna want lists we don't really have lists these are most like theoretical discussions but uh we are happy to i uh, probably make them if you like want to engage in some greater conversation maybe it's on the reddit through patreon or something like that you can tweet at us and get ideas so michael what do you got next all right so my next one is oh, i don't get a card okay marshall you could get a card you got one yeah, I'll I'll just throw out. I think Altar of Dementia, <laughs> because nobody's played that one. I so here, can't hear, imagine me this in hear me modern. out. Hear me out. Altar of Dementia <laughs> was like a critical part of the Bridgevine deck of uh, the Bridge Hogak deck. But then the moment that Bridge got banned, Altar Dementia went out of the deck. And aside from this deck, Altar Dementia hasn't been showing up in anything, which I think is uh, sadly mistaken, given how ridiculously powerful that card is. Um, and I, uh, specifically I'll, I'll throw a deck up on screen, but, uh, one, Saffron Olive is probably my favorite brewer to watch. And he had a budget mono white persist combo that hinged on, uh, using either Altar of Dementia or, uh, Blast, Blasting? Blasting Station is the sacrifice yeah. to creature Bla- one. Yeah. As the two... Uh, as the two uh, win conditions when you then feed a persist creature that's constantly coming back and losing its counter thanks to either Anafenza or Solemnity. And uh, yeah, I mean, Alter Dimension has just been wrecking in other formats. And just the fact that like it, show- it showed up really only in one modern deck, then that version of that deck got banned. And so Alter Dimension hasn't been showing up in anything. But Alter Dimension will show back up again because that card is just so Powerful. ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so I have a question. Oh, because it's a win condition. I answered my own question. Yeah, so it's a sacrifice outlet that if you go infinite can be a win condition, and it's colorless. So I do think it does make an interesting role player in decks like that, where like you don't have access to Viserys here because you're mono white. You don't have access to like... Or Carrion Feeder. I mean, Black's got all the best yeah. free sack outlets, so this, for one more mana than Black plays, you get a free infinite sack outlet, which can both fuel you if you're playing a graveyard deck or kill your opponent if you're doing it infinitely does alter cost two or three two, two. it's so funny that horizons they're like yeah you know we only have viscerous here let's make sure we print another one mana sack outlet in black and a two mana colorless one that works in any deck that'll make modern more fair i think that's a really good thing we can do yeah i mean like people have used them for evil but i think cheap sacrifice outlets make for like some interesting aristocrats oh, type my, strategies some of my some of my favorite stuff so uh that's that's Marshall's first card. Moving on to your second card. What do you got? All right. My second card uh, is Yogmoth uh, Thran Physician. So Yogmoth Thran Physician has a ton of text. And uh, it's a... F- yeah, okay. I can, I can read it for you right now. He costs two black black. He's a 2-4 with protection from humans. He has sacrifice a creature and pay one life to put a negative one, negative one counter on up to one target creature, you draw a card. And then he has black, black, discard a card, proliferate. It, right. This so card is intentionally confusing. I like looking at this card, like, what are you supposed yeah, to yeah. do? Yeah, yeah. So this? there's there's so much text. Now, the, the gist is that you can sacrifice a creature for zero mana to draw a card. 
Now, there's some conditions. You need to pay one life. So you can't easily go infinite with it because, like, paying a life, like, even if you're going with Kitchen Finks, you, like, pay one and lose one and draw a card, but you need counters for the minus one, minus one counters. And then, like, if you're, you know, somehow... Gerald's messenger. If you're Gerald's messengering, <laughs> you're paying a life each time. So you can't actually go infinite, although you're dealing them way more damage than you're gaining. But I think that it makes an interesting mid-range card. And one of the things that inspired me... So, like, I always thought during, like, the set review and when we were, like, first looking at the set being previewed, I felt like this has to be a card that has enough words on it, just, like, as a value (laughs) card, right? Like, like it just generates a lot of value. You can sacrifice any of your creatures at instant speed for zero mana to draw a card. And in a game where you have extra mana, you can be, like, proliferating to shrink your opponent's board. And it's just, like, it's another card that is just really hard to grind it out. You know, I've I've long been a fan of cards with a lot of text. I've always felt, yeah, you, you put a lot of abilities on a card, it's got to be good, right? I mean, like there are a lot of situations where you can use this card to your advantage. Like if you're if you're in, for example, like a Jund Mirror or something, if they can't kill this, which it's a two four, so it doesn't die to Lightning Bolt, and it is you have to have Revolt to kill it with Fatal Push because it's a four drop. Like you're just like shrinking their board and drawing extra cards and blanking their removal spells on your other creatures because you're sacrificing them. Can he sacrifice himself or is it another creature? It's another. Okay, so he can't blank or and he on can't himself, target himself because he has protection from humans and he's right, right, right. So he can't target himself with the minus one, minus one. So that's what I was thinking is like I feel like this would be a card that would get played in like a pot birthing pod deck or like even if if Malira combo in any form with no pod was like really a major player in modern. I feel like this would be an easy one of that you can cord for and it just is going to like grind your opponent out it's also a sack outlet for your kitchen things um so that's like an existing deck it could go in but like the interaction with garolf's messenger is also great because you can put the minus one minus one counter on messenger to get rid of its undying so garolf's messenger is a three two four black 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 um that when it enters the battlefield it just tapped and it's a zombie uh and when it enters the battlefield target opponent loses two life and then it has undying you don't gain two life no, they yeah. just lose two. Okay, gotcha. So with Yogmoth, you can like sacrifice a Garrel's Messenger and then sacrifice another creature, hopefully a Garrel's Messenger, to put a minus one minus one counter on your messenger to reset it. So then you sacrifice it again, it undies, and you can like kind of, you know, deal a ton of damage using your messenger or draw a bunch of cards because you're able to like use up your other creatures to like keep resetting the messenger. And, and this is after you've collected company end of turn for double messenger the previous turn? <laughs> of course. Well, I mean, <laughs> like a master. A slightly less magical Christmas land, but again, making a call out to Saffron Olive, he created a deck that is based around Yogmoth and Hapatra, and his undying creatures of choice were Young Wolf and Strangleroot Geist, since they're both cheap, plus Hapatra's... Hapatra plus Yogmoth is really insane, too, because you put the negative one, negative counter, which makes a snake, which so you can always have a creature to gotcha, sacrifice. Gotcha. Right. So so I think that there's like a lot of different shells that you can build if you build around Yogmoth like that. I think he fits into creature toolbox decks. And and one of the things is I saw uh, Andrea Mangucci was playing him in Legacy, like a Legacy Nick Fit. It was a little bit lower to the ground than sometimes you see in Nick Fit where you're playing like Sun Titan and like Birthing Pod and like crazy big stuff based on the ramp from the uh, Legacy Nick Fit deck. But it was just kind of like a little bit cheat lower to the ground mid-rangeier deck. And he was playing a bunch of Yawgmoths just like as a value creature that just like how is a legacy deck, how is most legacy decks going to be able to like beat that much card draw and like killing all your Delvers and stuff, you know? It's really good. I mean, he also in modern, he does have pro humans, which is a, which is an added just like incidental bonus. That's just every once in a while you're going to just drop him. And they're going to be like, really? That's right. Yeah. Huh. 
All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he like he's good enough against removal and you like can get immediate value even if you tap out for him because it's the sacking is free. The proliferate is like something that's going to be relevant in a long game where you have extra mana. He right. just he does so much. And I think there's a few dedicated builds because you could also build him with Garolf's Messenger and either like as as the top of your like zombies shell with Undead Augur um, and like Gravecrawler uh, and that guy that you were talking about, Carrion Feeder. And, you know, other just like a basic zombie deck, be it mono black or green black or something like that. You can play. He, he also plays pretty well if you're playing messenger in like a mono black devotion shell mm, yeah. with um, gray merchant of Acidel yeah. because you're paying life every time you sacrifice a creature. And so gray merchant comes in, draws a ton of cards. It's also a zombie. So you could be like mono black zombie devotion or you could just <laughs> be like mono black devotion with Phyrexian obliterator. I mean, I just feel like Yogmoth's synergy with like Gravecrawler and Geralt's Messenger. This is powerful. No, I, I totally agree. There's like, also there's so many different directions zombie. you could go with this card. There's also just a two-drop vanilla zombie that has Undying, too. It was like yeah. a two-drop yeah, one-one yeah, yeah. that has Undying. Oh, Butcher Ghoul. Yeah, Butcher Ghoul. Also known as Old Wolf when it yeah. came out because it was a two-mana <laughs> version of Young Wolf. I mean, this, uh, this, this is, yeah, I mean, this card also is almost $20 still and no one's playing it modern. I know it's legendary, but there is, yeah, I think like there's commander card. appeal like, to it, but, but like when there's commander appeal to a four mana card, I feel like, you know, yeah. you might want to look at it in modern depending on what it does, because like commander is looking for big effects and there are decks in modern that are looking for just like big effects that will win the game. Assuming you can get there. Yeah. He's a, he, he fits like in the Kalita spot in terms of curve. And right. He, for a lot he of fits in the Kalita spot to me. And the fact that he does so much immediately, like Kalitas is basically a five drop is one of the problems with yeah. Kalita is that like he's he's grave hate in your main deck which is always nice but like you have to play him and fatal push or else he just gets like killed yogmoth you just tap out from on turn four if your opponent has a removal spell you can just cash in your like random token or whatever creature you have lying around your your noble hierarch or i mean it depends on what kind of shell you're playing him in but you can immediately start sacrificing creatures to get value so i i just think that he does a lot and it's it's underexplored. I hope someone explores it. Um, my second card is going to be... Hmm, which one I want to use next? Uh, I will use Ephemerate as my next card. This is a card that if you've played a little bit of Modern Horizons Limited, you probably recognize the power of, and I think most of us probably missed it when we were looking at the set. It's a unique effect. This probably of all the cards we're going to talk about today is actually the one that I'm the most surprised hasn't shown up in like a major way yet. So Ephemerate is one white. Um, exile target creature and then return it to the battlefield. Does it, is it immediately? Yeah, exile target creature and return you control and return it to the battlefield immediately. And it has rebound. And rebound states that when you cast the spell, you may exile it at the beginning of the next upkeep. Um, if you exiled it, I think it's cast it from exile and then put it into your graveyard. So you basically get two instances of the spell. If you play it at an end of turn, you'll get it again during upkeep. Now, what's cool about this card is you're getting two triggers, you're getting two instances off of one spell, which means that if you have, like, like I figured this out in, like, a weird chaos draft last weekend with Archaeomancer, where I could just get my Ephemerate back every single turn and also blink another creature. So in, like, a value blink deck, you just never, ever run out of Ephemerate. It's the whole idea of Eternal Command. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say that I think, like, one of the reasons it fell under the ra- it flew under the radar is because it looks like Cloud Shift. Right. Right. And Cloud Shift is like so far from being playable because it's so conditional. But the rebound allows these loops that like aren't intuitive immediately until you've played with the card, I think. 
Oh, it's when you start to figure out, like, so I, I in this like wacky chaos draft, had I first picked a Kaya's Guile out of my Horizons pack, then I second picked Archaea Mancer out of one of the one of the modern master sets, and then I third picked something, but I ended up with an Ephemerate somewhere in the second pack, and I cast Kaya's Guile over three matches, probably nineteen times. I, I had one game where I cast Kaya's Guile eleven times, like. I didn't win the game is the crazy part <laughs> because like you, you, you realize cool like, <laughs> you realize that casting guys Kyle that many, I drew two of my three matches. It was so dirtily and grindy, like making them making them sack a creature and making a one one every turn while still holding open like a counter spell to not get blown out was just so bad. But like it seemed awesome. And so I was like, wait, there's got to be something better you can do here. So the deck that I would put this in is. I'd want to build this in an Eternal Witness Chittering Rats deck um, where basically your whole entire game plan is just get the loop going where they're never going to draw a card ever again. Uh, I think that that would be the one I'd want to do it. And the other the other card that I would love to combine this with actually from Modern Horizons is the uh, the blue hideaway creature, Watcher of the... Watcher of Tomorrows. Watcher Watch for Tomorrows. Watcher for Tomorrows, which is the 2-1 that enters the battlefield tapped, has hideaway, you look at the top four. When he when he leaves the battlefield, you put that card in your hand. Um, and I think that would be a really cool way, but I don't want to add blue to this deck, so probably what actually ends up happening is you just are playing this in like a Wall of Blossoms, Wall of Omens deck. I've seen um, I've seen a deck going around the internet. Marshall was saying he saw Saffronov playing it. I saw Gabe Nassif playing it, so I don't I don't know where it came I, from. I think but. Nassif might have started it, and yeah. then Saffronov played it for one of his... Uh, modern against yeah. the odds it's um it's like a it's like a bant ephemerate deck so you're playing like knight of autumn and i think it was playing soul herder and like some just yeah, generic yeah, yeah. value like blinky guys but also eternal witness and eternal witness and then it was playing two time warp so you can do the ephemerate on eternal witness get back time warp next turn get back ephemerate play ephemerate and you just take infinite turns so saying it's sort of another version of what i'm talking about which is you're right. looping chittering rats they never draw a card again this he just wants to take infinite turns right time yeah. warp obviously is five mana versus chittering rats three and in your deck you can like work in unearth and like it's a different deck but it's similar loop yeah i think i think probably the version of this i would play is i would have like four thoughtsies inquisition five to six of them maybe on turn one that kind of a deal with i think four birds of paradise probably because your two turn two plays are both like you eternal witnessing back like a fetch land to make sure you're hitting land drops or just like eternal witnessing back uh like let's say you let's say you turn one bird of paradise you know and then you like i don't know turn two i guess you did you because you can just like turn two shittering rats and it's just a little bit of like a it's like a tempo play where they're like that card's bad and you're like okay that's fine but like i can also just win because my four drop in this deck is, is restoration angel and i'll just eventually curve out and like you might just not be able to catch up because I'm going to rip your hand apart and have lots and lots and lots of value. I think that sounds really sweet. And then yeah. Ephemerate is just your lock card. Yeah, um, and you could play Coco in that deck too if you wanted, right? Like most of your key ETB creatures in modern, like Witness, Knight of Autumn, um, you know, even Kitchen Finks, like just as a value guy, like they're all three mana. Yeah, so I think it is totally that deck. Um, and I think more than likely this is a Court of Calling deck, probably, because like... The, the one thing that's hard about this deck is that if you don't have an ephemerate, if you don't get to one, you have to just play this grindy value game. The ephemerate just becomes your, if I get this in the right moment, you'll never come back. So that's one thing that's interesting about the Watcher version of this with blue is that you can kind of dig towards your ephemerate if you don't have one immediately. Totally and you could just trade off like, you know, chump block with your Watcher or something or... You know, if they're a slower deck, they might just kill it because they don't want to take two damage every turn. And then you're like, 
you know, hopefully digging towards your FM rate and you can start like going off. Yeah. The problem is though, if you, I mean, you could go into four colors, you could just be four color with birds of paradise. It's not Noble the worst hierarch too idea. if you're playing blue. Yeah. 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 But, uh, in any case, that's my, that is my second card is ephemerate. I think there's probably a lot of really cool things to do with ephemerate. I personally would like to build this version. It seems really, really, yeah. Cool to me. Like, I think that cloud shift with infinite combo potential is kind of what cloud shift needed to get played. Like, you know, one mana to rebuy your best ETB is not quite good enough, but once you're rebuying two ETBs and maybe there's an infinite combo in your deck, it's only one mana. Like yeah. one mana is the right price for for an effect like that, right. for sure. And plus also the effect itself can be played as a counter spell too to removal spells. Like, yeah. And then that's like the like how much then it's then it's ancestral recall. If they point a terminate at a value creature and you ephemerate it, then you're gonna get the creature coming back into play, get triggering its ETB. You're going to counter the Terminate, and the next turn you're going to... So, I mean, yeah, it's very rare you get three for one for yeah. one mana. Yeah. Yeah. So that is my second card. What is your third card? Third and final. Cordial Vampire. Cordial Vampire. So this is a, in, a, in a somewhat similar vein to Yawgmoth. You could even play Yawgmoth in the same deck. But it's... um. They've, they've given us all these aristocrats tools, like Carrion Feeder, and like Marshall was saying, Altered Dementia. So I feel like... Cordial Vampire uh, is a black, black, one, one. Whenever a creature you control dies, put a plus one, plus one counter on each of your vampires. Whenever any creature dies. Whenever, Whenever any Cordial creature dies. My mistake. Whenever he or another creature dies. And it's one. when he dies, so you get value if they fatal push. And a one, one vampire for black, black. Yeah, so basically, like, to make tribal decks work in modern, it, it's tough. Because just, like, anthemming your team, I feel like, is not often good enough. Like, you have to be doing something like humans where you're super disruptive. You have to be doing something like merfolk where, like, your entire team is huge and unblockable. You have to be doing something like spirits where you're super disruptive. And I feel like vampire, like, this vampire allows your vampire deck to maybe not be disruptive, but it allows you to be, like, resilient because you, your lord isn't, like, on the board where it can get killed. You're, like, you're just plus one plus one countering up your team. Um, also, they've just printed a lot of tools for vampires, like uh, in Ixalan. Uh, oh, yeah. And you do get a little bit of resilience with, um, like... Legion's Landing makes a one-one vampire. Right? Yeah, you yeah. get you get, you get get resilience from, like, Legion's Landing and uh, Dusk Legion Zealot, the guy that, like, enters the battlefield, you lose one life, draw, draw a card. Draw a card. And you also, I mean, you do have a new really good lord in vampires. They made a two-mana two-two. Like, you have Mistbinder, yeah. except the, the, the vampire. Yeah, and, and you have um, the new Soren allows you to put minus three the turn you play him to put a vampire from your hand into play. So now you can like get away with playing some of the more expensive vampires and because you, you can use the new Soren, who's only three mana, which is the right price for a Planeswalker in, in Modern, um, to put in like Vampire Nocturnus or Champion of Dusk, which Champion of Dusk is a five mana vampire from Ixalan uh, that when it enters the battlefield, you lose X life and draw X cards. Mm-hmm. So that gives you resilience because you're like drawing cards and generating value. And so if your opponent is just pointing removal spells at all your creatures, you win, right? I mean, obviously no modern deck is just pointing removal spells at all your creatures. They're also doing other stuff, but... There's also the idea though that like on, on the turn one or turn two, let's say you play like a creature, creature. On turn three, if you play Soren and you're like, well, I have this this uh, vampire we're talking about. What's his cordial name? Cordial vampire. If I have this cordial vampire in my hand, I don't really want to minus Soren to put this two drop in play. On the other hand, if I do, now I have a blocker to protect my Soren. And on top of that, if the blocker dies, it's going to put a counter on the one or two creatures I've already played. Right. Like just playing Soren to get him out on the board. He comes in with four loyalty and you minus three to to so he stays at one to put in like something that can block. Like you know just to. 
you'd obviously rather get a big expensive vampire, but if what you need is a blocker and you have a two drop in hand, fine. Right. Soren also, you can sacrifice a creature to deal three to target creature and gain three. So you sacrifice a vampire. So that triggers your vampire twice because you're, you're sacrificing your own vampire and you're killing their creature. And the, the fact that the Lord's effect is not tied to the card means that like, if they kill your cordial vampire, you're like, great, I get another trigger. Well, Whatever. We've seen, we've seen how powerful <laughs> that effect is with Thalia's Lieutenant and humans, where yeah. like it's it's not Mare of Averbrook. It's like, this is something that is just going to be pretty good when you play it, and then it continues to be really good, but if it's gone, there's a lot of effects that stuck Right, around. and Cordial Vampire makes you do a little bit more work than Thalia's Lieutenant, which is, I think, the reason why it's not like immediately made a vampire deck happen. Yeah. Like, But with, with like Viserysir and Sorin and maybe Carrion Feeder and... You know, maybe this deck needs another sack outlet in the form of Blasting Station or Altered Dementia or something. You can now, like, you know, sacrifice your vampires to just be like, make a huge team. You can play Bloodgast in this deck because Bloodgast is a vampire. But yeah, you don't get Gravecrawler, but you get Bloodgast, who's a vampire. So you can be sacrificing your Bloodgast, but counters on all your other vampires. You've got like Vampire Lacerator from Zendikar. You know, um, they just printed Knight of the Ebon Legion, which is the a great one drop, drop for a the great deck. one drop vampire that has like real legs in the late game too the yeah straight. like the the cards that they printed in m19 made vampires viable in standard to the point where like uh in this the mpl uh division series that they did this weekend there were like six vampire decks one scape shift and one something else wow. so like vampire has real legs in standard because of these cards that they printed and i think that cordial vampire plus the zendikar vampires means that this standard deck that exists can maybe start Port making over. its way in the direction of modern I think it's totally fair, and it might even be something that uh, Alex or myself will start uh, working on trying to stream in Arena, because that's something we're starting to do. Um, so that's a real thing. Not like in the past when I've talked about streaming Modern, because I don't understand how to play Moto. Um, I have played a lot of Arena, and I'm like actually working on that actively. So we're planning on doing that. I'm really excited about it. Um, my last card is a card that we've talked about on the show a lot, and I have one very specific purpose that I think is cool for it. And it's, uh, it's that guy right there. Wait, no, he's not on the wall. That guy right there. Kess. Wow, I had an Alex card, and now you have an Alex card? Descendant Mage. It's like no. he's here. <laughs> no, it's Descendant Mage. <laughs> have to keep the uh, mispronunciation <laughs> count rolling. Consistence. Um, so the idea with this card, right, is like, you play Kess, and in general, this is a value card. We, we've seen it in Grixis as like a two of. Getting to recast a Kolagon's command off this card, or hitting a second Cryptic command, awesome. Really, really good. Um, but ultimately... It just becomes a, is this the right value and can I negotiate the board state correctly to get two or three extra spells out of this card? And if so, I'll probably win the game, right? But in general, if you play this card on turn four in modern, it will die and you probably won't get to untap with it because that's probably what's going to happen. So I started thinking, if I get to untap with this card, what is the best thing that I can possibly do? Uh... And the best thing I can possibly do is not ever let my opponent take a turn again. So I was thinking in the turns deck, as opposed to having to just constantly try to draw more of these cards, why not just play Kess? He doubles as your win condition and also the thing that allows you to continue casting your spells. You play a time warp deck. He's blue, so you can play Force of Negation as a four of in your main deck because every single card in your deck is blue. So now you cast this guy on turn four knowing that you're going to untap with a Time Warp in hand and very likely get to protect him with Force of Negation if you let them untap and try to kill him. You might just be able to do that and then win the game. Because, yeah. right? Like, and even if you don't have Time Warp on the turn you play Kess, if you get to, if you get to untap with Kess with like any of the turns cards, just like double Boomerang, like... 
is basically a time walk at that point, you know, like getting to like double boomerang every turn or getting to like time war. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, it seems really sweet. I'm I'm surprised that this isn't something someone's tried already just because I think it's because that deck usually functions as uh, blue white, I believe blue splash is white, right? Yeah, there was a guy who put up a ton of results with blue splash black, though. Yeah, but and you see Cass and you're like, oh, Grixis, I don't want to play this card, but like who cares it he's a blue card yeah i mean i think the the one main problem is that it turns on your opponent's removal whereas before you were playing no creatures and so like if your opponent has removal it's just rotting in their hand and it you know that is a benefit whereas if you play this as the only creature in your deck your opponent's just gonna like have the removal because like what else are they using it for yeah i think my idea with this would just be I'll, I probably play similar to the other deck i mentioned probably like six hand disruption spells you, that's your those are your one drops so how many how many extra? So you're like turns a little cards? bit more of a mid rangey deck than a than an actual turns deck. You want to hit your land drops, right? You're probably playing 25 lands, I'm guessing, because you need to make sure you're hitting your land drop every turn, and you basically just need to be able to cast this guy on turn four, and then on turn five cast time warp. How many time warp effects are there in modern that you can be playing for five mana? I know there's time warp itself. There's the Awaken one that costs six, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. There's, There's a bunch of six ones. Save of the Moment costs three, but you don't untap, which seems bad. Um, well, maybe, actually. You could play Temporal Mastery, but it costs two on the front end and then seven from your graveyard. It exiles when you cast it. Um, oh, you're right. Yeah, it exiles. A lot of them exile. Part the Water Veil exiles, too. But uh, Walk the Aeons is an exile. That's the six drop one. Yeah. Okay. Time Warp is the best, but that's why, like, they a lot of times they'll these decks will put, the turns decks will put, like, Exhaustion or Boomerang, which are, like, yeah. soft taken extra turn cards. Mm-hmm. But with Cast, being able to cast them twice, like, maybe it's enough. I yeah, mean, maybe he exhaustion just... is target player skips their untap step for three, and boomerang is return a permanent, including a land to its owner's hand. So if you can untap with Kess, immediately boomerang from your hand, boomerang from your graveyard to like bounce their creature, bounce their land, they're gonna have to re- they're spending their next turn probably replaying their land and replaying their creature. Plus boomerang, if you're playing these hand disruption spells, boomerang allows you to like boomerang your creature, thought sees it, and then boomerang a land, and now it's like. Yeah, the whole idea of the deck is you just have to you just have to make sure that you're getting casts into play. Like you have to hope your first few turns of the game you've been able to like sculpt your hand, sculpt their hand to get you to this point. But right. I think as a because like I guess the question you have to ask yourself here is what is better or worse about this than playing the Panoptic Mirror version of the deck where you're just putting Time Warp on Panoptic Mirror and trying to win? And because that's like a thing in bigger formats, people have tried doing. Sure, um, it's banding Commander for that reason. Panoptic Mirror is yeah. Yeah, so in Highlander, like we've done it, um, and I think the answer is that the that that is obviously a bigger like actual lock, but this is your win condition on its own, which means and it does a lot in games where you don't have a time warp. Yeah, like you can just play cast when you have five mana and just thought seize immediately or fatal push immediately. Like it, it feels like you're playing kind of a Grixis mid range shell with like a taking turns win condition as opposed to like all in taking turns. Right. Yeah. I mean, because you're playing more interaction, whereas the taking turns deck doesn't like boomerang is the only interaction that they're playing most of the time. They're just trying to like go off. Feels like probably you're playing 12 extra turns cards. I'm guessing that seems that seems correct. It probably means you're playing five because if you can't play part of the you can play walk the eons. You can play time warp and you probably have to find one more that you can play, Yeah, um, which probably there's one more. Right. There's got to be that anyway. doesn't exile itself. Yeah. 
feel like there is. I'm, I keep thinking of all the ones that are not modern legal, right? There's like cause temporal extortion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Temporal manipulation. Whatever. Anyway. I'm playing those, too much Highlander. Yeah, exactly. Those are my cards, guys. Uh, those are going to be our three each. Marshall's honorable mention early on. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening and watching to the episode this week. What do you got, Marshall? Oh, I was just going to say my other my other cards were Yogmoth, which we pontificated on at length and then the other one was soul herder which we touched Talked on a about. bit with the ephemerate so soul herder is sweet um be sure to follow along with what we're doing guys uh get your tickets for new york if you want to see that come see us in vegas uh alex and i are doing this trivia show it is going to be on friday at five o'clock i'll Hall. be there hanging it's gonna be super duper fun uh come hang out in vegas and be sure to follow along with all the stuff we're doing last couple shout outs check out the command zone jimmy long and josh lee Kwai do incredible content there. they also have a show called game nights and another show called uh extra turns i believe it's called extra turns um right it's called extra turns i've watched the show before i, I we just said taking turns so now i'm getting mixed up I'm pretty sure it's called Extra Turns, and uh, they, they're awesome. They are the sister show to this. They do great stuff, so go check their stuff out. And especially this week, because this week they're debuting all the Commander 2019 uh, deck lists and yeah. and talking about all the spoilers. So if Sweet. you're a Commander fan, now is the week to tune into Command Zone. Yeah, and uh, last but not least, guys, patreon.com slash the MMcast is the best way to support what we're doing. It's how we continue doing this content for you every single week and uh, are able to have a producer that we pay here to do the show, because Marshall's the best. Um, Michael, thanks for hanging out. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Guys, thanks for watching, and we will see you same time, same place next week. Thank you for your attention. See you later, alligator. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.